Ladies and gents, my name is Brandon Stover. Welcome to the How to Solve Climate Change course from Plato University. Causes, systems, obstacles, solutions to this global challenge is what you're going to learn here today. When you're ready to learn more skills, join us for free at Plato.University. Let's get started with today's lesson. We'll have our expert guests briefly introduce themselves and their credentials for why they are able to speak to this topic. My name's Kate O'Neill. I am a professor in the Department of Environmental Science, Policy and Management at UC Berkeley. I teach global environmental politics and governance, and I work on the global and local politics of waste. I published a book in 2019 that talks about waste as a resource. Can you explain succinctly what recycling and resource recapture is from first principles? Recycling and recapture are both ways of extracting value from the stuff that we throw away. Historically, we've thought of we, we put something in the trash or the blue bin and it just goes away and we don't think about it. And now we're really rethinking about all the resources, the value that's contained in that waste and also how well is it being dealt with once it leaves our our homes or leaves our businesses. So both of these, recycling and recapture, are visible to us at a local level, but are also carried out at industrial levels and are even global these days. So recycling, I tend to think about as taking a, a plastic bottle, a tin can, or a newspaper, uh, reprocessing it or treating it and turning it back into something similar. But in the case of plastics in particular, something not always as good or as useful. And recapture, I tend to think of this as something like dismantling a computer to reclaim valuable metals or even reclaiming items of value from a demolished building. This is, this is often something that's seen as, as almost like a mine of resources. Hmm. And then also I would say preventing different kinds of waste falls roughly into this area. And when you're thinking about the connections between waste and climate change, one of the high priority areas is food waste. Why does recycling and recapture help to solve climate change? Well, waste itself, not many people know this, is a major contributor to climate change. And having just mentioned food waste, I think one of the, the really big ways in which waste contributes to climate change is through landfill gases. Methane in particular, which once it escapes into the atmosphere, is a highly potent greenhouse gas. So keeping anything out of landfills is a good idea, but especially organic waste um, and any other kinds of waste that can break down and contribute to the methane emission problem. So that's one level. Um, and then also when you're thinking about recapturing or reclaiming or refurbishing, say, electronics, which contain a lot of valuable metals, Extracting virgin metals, usually through mining, can carries a much larger environmental and energy footprint. Also, a high social cost potentially. So, for example, when these minerals are taken from high conflict zones and that money goes to fund that conflict, that's also problematic. But we definitely see reclaiming these metals as having huge um, climate um, potential. The other, another way in which we need to have recycling is in producing is using secondary plastics because virgin plastics themselves created out of fossil fuels through the by the petrochemicals industry obviously carry a huge uh, climate burden throughout the plastics life cycle. And why would this recycling or recapture maybe not solve climate change or fall short? 
think there are, there are quite a few ways this can happen too. Uh, one is that comes to me most obviously is when recycling and recapture aren't done right or don't fulfill their potential. Because that means more stuff gets diverted to landfill, it gets incinerated or wasted, and that definitely helps contribute to climate change and certainly undermines the contrib- contribution to reducing it. Sometimes life cycle analyses show that more energy can be used to recycle, recapture, or rebuild or refurbish discarded resources than it would take to extract or find alternatives. And a good example of this are glass bottles, especially if they're recycled at an industrial scale, because this means that they get uh, collected, they get ground, they have to get shipped to a facility, which is very cost intensive because of the weight of the bottles. And then they get ground down and then there aren't that many uses for them. So many it's become less of a thing. People don't really realize how little of glass is actually captured and recycled from curbside. I think, too, that recycling can help displace redesign of the things that we buy or incentivizing producing and consuming less. I don't, some people argue that very strongly. I'm not quite at that level, but you really do need a coupled strategy. So recycling, uh, recapture has to be coupled with strategies to create products that use less materials that last longer and can be repaired better. Looking at the stakeholders in these systems, who benefits the most and who may be harmed the most by recycling resource recapture as a solution? I mean, the obvious benefit is if it's all done right, you know, so society, the environment, all of these things. But I like to think, I think a lot in my work about the people who do waste work. And there are a lot of stakeholders in this space from the biggest, some huge multinational utility companies and waste collection companies down to people who work in dump sites, who collect trash around the place, who collect old bottles and recycle newspapers. So from the formal sector to the informal sector, this is one of the world's oldest professions. It started more or less at the same time as the Industrial Revolution. And actually, if you look at repair, so much longer before then as people conserved resources. And it has this formal sectors and informal sectors. And across, I think globally, this sector employs tens of millions of people who depend on waste and recycling for their livelihood. So this can really affect um, how these resources are dealt with, can really impact those people. And I think specifically of, again, the people who are in the informal recycling sector who live on or near the landfill sites or the trash sites where they um, pick their, their livelihood from. And if you're thinking, some of the large-scale solutions of using waste as a climate tool, an anti-climate change tool, involves... Um, trapping methane to stop it from escaping into the atmosphere and sometimes burning it off or turning it into energy. And that often involves capping an entire landfill. And that might look great um, when you're doing carbon accounting, but the real human cost of that is often displacing potentially thousands of people from their livelihoods suddenly and probably without any transitional help. So this is where you see some of the costs really being imposed in this waste work sector. And just briefly to some of the residues from, say, waste to energy recycling, which is another way that 
our municipal waste is turned into energy. Uh, Sweden does this a lot, for instance, uh, are very well known for their low waste sector. But that also still produces a toxic residue, and it's hard to know where that goes. And often, of course, it's put in places that most likely affect the poorest people in Sweden. They're actually running out of space. They use disused mines, but again, where do you put it? Put these residues if you run out of that room. Can you walk us through the process of how a resource is recycled or recaptured? Maybe a few examples. This is not my immediate area of expertise, but I, I certainly have learned a lot about the process as I've done my research. I think for our trash collection and recycling here, it's very much a process of we put it out on the curb, the blue bins get picked up by whoever's picking them up. And that could be like waste management, huge company or a local, some particularly in California, a lot of cities have local not-for-profits doing this work. And it's taken from there to what's called a material recovery facility. And these MRFs, as they're called, are really, I think, the central nodal point when it comes to thinking about recycling systems. It's really, they are probably the major area where if, if, if it's going to work, it's, it's working. If it doesn't, often that's to do with MRFs being under-resourced or, or having problems or just not being enough of them. So, the materials recovery facility, and if people ever get a chance to take a tour or visit one, I totally recommend it because you'll see exactly how our trash is sorted and all of the different piles and bales into which it fits. I've been to a recycling MRF center in Santa Cruz where it's just big bales of plastics and then of cans all flattened and prepared for whatever's coming next. Also at the MRF is where you have a sorting process that discards anything that comes through which can't be recycled or is contaminated for some reason. And that is another sort of choke point in that people put sometimes put the wrong things into the recycling. So that's kind of where how that process works. It's bailed up recycled items, and then those bales get sold on for reuse. And that's the other critical piece of the process. If there is no market, for these bales of plastics and cans and so on, then, you know, there's no point in, in, in undertaking the effort and the cost to produce those. And we found that very clearly when our, we lost our major market, which was China, for these um, bales of plastic and, and cardboard. And all of a sudden we had these worthless um, piles of, of material lying around that then had to be landfilled or otherwise, otherwise destroyed. So that's, that's that process. Then you have repair and refurbishment, which again happens at different scales. Sometimes this is local, where people collect old items and, and repair them and, and ups, upcycle them and resell directly. And this happens everywhere, not just sort of where you think of sort of developing country communities, but all around the US and all around countries more developed countries around the world, it's becoming more of a more of a thing, I think, in some ways. But it can also happen at a higher level when you think, for example, about refurbished iPhones or electronics. Those have been collected from point of retail when they're returned by customers and, and then again refurbished by the company or by others to be refunctional. And then I guess another big thing that happens is to extract resources you it's you shred or, or can destroy things like again e-waste computers and 
you kind of pull out then the val- valuable minerals from what's left of, of the ground up components. So those can be extracted and re-smelted in the way that you would, you know, just ore that had been mined from the ground. For recycling and resource recapture to work, what sort of policy innovation or things need to be built to be an effective solution? Very literally, I was talking about MUFs, the material recovery facilities. Those need to be refurbished and more of those need to be built around the world. I think that would really help the recycling solution. Uh, But we also need policy and we need innovation. And that would include on the policy side, we are seeing wonderful innovations in Europe around building a circular economy, an economy that avoids the take, make, dispose society that we live in now. And that's a very big set of questions, but it also connects uh, with this topic. And in various states in the United States, we're seeing innovation in policy, and that would uh, definitely includes California, which is um, now mandating um, recycled or recyclable packaging for its goods, no matter where they come from. Certainly secondary plastics being used in production of, of plastic things within, within California and outside, and a lot of policies like that. But re- and the other thing they're doing is really clear labeling on plastics as to what is recyclable and what is not, because that is not well done right now. So there's a lot of exciting things. California is not the only state. Maine and Oregon, too, are bringing in various laws to get producers to pay for the plastics especially the packaging that they use to ship goods and sell goods in those states. And I think, as I mentioned at a broader level, I I do think we need to be thinking about design and innovation so that the products we create use less waste, they last longer. They contain components, for instance, that can be easily recyclable. One of the things that a lot of people who are concerned about e-waste recommend is not that it's, it's not a perfect solution for e-waste to be shipped abroad, but this is what happens. They're shipped around the world. It's really hard to stop that from happening. So what do we do to make it less toxic, at least from our perspective? And that is to redesign our electronics so that whatever components are in them that might be used to extract the value are not going to harm communities in the same way. But honestly, just to be able to repair cell phones, computers, et cetera, and have them last for more than two to three years, get rid of this planned obsolescence business model on the part of the electronics companies would be a huge step forward. But that's been a challenge uh, for everybody, including powerful constituencies like farmers who want the right to repair their tractors. And they can't because it's all they, they need to. They've got a little proprietary, essentially, computer in the engine that they can't repair themselves. So there's a lot of ironies and a lot of problems with that particular model, even though it's such an important business model for the company's concern. What are the best resources to learn more about recycling and recapture in relation to climate change? I think that there's so much out there. One of my favorite sites, which is a general site, is called Be Waste Wise, which is wastewise. .be as its web handle. It's a little unusual. And it has a ton of webinars and blogs and, and really up-to-date materials. It has lots of conversations with industry professionals and entrepreneurs in this space. And I find it tremendously interesting if I, I really want to think about some of the nuts and bolts again about 
recycling some of those challenges, some of the policy challenges, whether it be local or global, it's got a very global reach. So I truly recommend it as a resource for people who just want to explore all of these topics. They have a bunch on, on actually on waste and climate change, but also on all aspects of waste and recycling from the professional's point of view. Totally love that one. And then specifically on climate and plastics in 2019, the Center for International Environmental Law, CIEL, produced a report, Climate Change in Plastics, the Hidden Cost of a Plastic Planet. And that really goes through in some wonderful detail about the life cycle of plastics from production to disposal and the environmental costs, the climate costs. And that, again, comes back to the point about reducing production and consumption is probably much more important when it comes to plastics than the upstream solutions like recycling and waste energy. Uh, and then my book, Waste, <laughs> which is just a uh, hopefully a helpful um, and accessible read. It's called Waste. It was published by Polity Press in 2019, available at any outlets where books are sold. Right now, you're speaking to passionate students who want to actually solve problems like these. What top three skills should they study so that they actually have the ability to do so? Well, I'll start by saying that this the waste industry, the recycling and resource recovery industry, I love to point students towards it because there are always jobs. This is, this is always growing. There's some technological innovations at the disposal end, but there are people always needed at many different levels. And I always think a good source in this country, the uh, Solid Waste Association of North America or SWANA is really now rebranding itself as a resource and recovery association as well. And they have a lot of programs for young professionals, ideas for education and programs that can suit people of all interests, whether they're, you know, from the ground up, from actually collecting and managing collection routes to right up to the policy and legal departments. So yeah, it's, you know, what skills I think, well, communications and logistics to think about how big systems manage and are operated and how they work, because often at all levels of waste disposal, that's what you're thinking about. If you think about waste infrastructure is absolutely critical to the functioning of every city that we have. If waste breaks down, the city breaks down. So you've got a lot of people at different levels who think about these systems and how they work, how they interrelate. So that one of the ways people uh, get that training is through engineering courses, programs, and I would also argue understanding the policy aspect, the human aspect of managing large systems like this is also very helpful. So that is one. Figuring out how to get your hands dirty, go work in a landfill, go look, go intern at one of the companies that you know helps produce and, or sorry, helps collect waste and recycling. And you can learn a lot from that level. And again, it's fascinating, especially people, people who get into this industry really there because they feel passionate about waste and doing something with it, but they also are fascinated by the whole process of mm. taking something people are thrown away and 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 dealing with it. So that's again something I recommend. And then the product design and innovation space of uh, all from like creating products that are less wasteful, but also there are a lot of startups and other smaller companies who are really working to produce better recycling. And one example I can think of is also trying to find replacements for plastics, single-use plastics, 
plastics used in packaging, thermal plastics, and so on. So that's a really big sector. Again, a lot of small companies, but it's definitely worth checking out. Any final recommendations for the audience? Well, I'm often asked, or nearly always asked, when I when I do presentations about people's personal practices. Like, what do I do? How do I learn to recycle effectively? And it's a source of anxiety for a lot of people, and I, I can I can totally identify with that because everybody wants to recycle and do the right thing, but I think they feel there's a lot of evidence that that recycling isn't effective, and so they want to know what they can do as consumers to make that better. And I think that advice I, I give is is be careful of something called wish cycling for anything you're wanting to throw away to think, oh, well, this can probably be recycled or recaptured. And so let me put it in the blue bin when that in fact can help contaminate an entire load. So I often say to people, watch what you're putting in, see if it can be sorted. Is it roughly clean, not, not hygienically clean? And to take care of their stuff on watch waste. I mean, all of these these things are important things that individuals can do. I think another concern that's building right now is for textile waste and the way that fast fashion has helped truly contribute in massive, it's massively increased the amount of textile waste that's going into the waste system or even the charity system. And often that's very hard to deal with. But also not to totally personalize or individualize the problem, but to remember that, again, these are systems, these are policy systems, these are industry systems where solutions should be happening at a higher level. And there are many actors within this system who are trying to blame people for littering or their individual practices. And we have to remember that we can engage in the policy world, engage in the technology world as people who are working in this area or people who are concerned citizens uh, who can follow up and find out from local governments or higher levels what's working, what's not, and what, and push them to keep improving. One of the best ways to understand recycling is to see it with your own eyes. Arrange an in-person visit to a local recycling facility if possible. Learn about the challenges they face and how they contribute to climate change mitigation. Thank you for taking the How to Solve Climate Change course. If you want to learn the skills to solve this global challenge, join us for free at Plato.University for exclusive content, extra resources, and actionable exercises with every lesson. This course was produced by Plato University, where students turn passions into purpose and learn skills to change the world. Learn more at Plato.University.